I don't know about you, but um, <clears throat> sometimes when I worship, I'm keenly aware of the, the potential disconnect between what it is that I'm singing and then how I live my life. What it is that I say that I believe <laughs> and, and then how I act on what it is that I say that I believe. And, and sometimes there is a gap there. And the great journey for us as, as followers of Christ and as a church community is to continue to try to narrow that gap. Uh, and, and not only what we sing, but also as we come to God's word and we read about who he is and what he requires of us. And then we look at how it is that we live and, and we see the, the distance between those two things that over time, hopefully, that, that those two things start to come together more and more and, and creating greater harmony between the song that God is singing in this world and, and the song that our life is singing. So that's always our hope here, is, is to try to enlighten us and try to encourage us and, and try to bring us into harmony with uh, that gap between God and us and, and his ways, which the Bible says are, are far beyond ours. And, and what I love, though, when I sing, and hopefully you, know, you can acknowledge or experience this or validate this, is there's just such a longing in my heart like to want to be that person, you know? I want to be the person that is obedient and faithful and that God can count on. And, and so longing, when you acknowledge that there is that longing there, that's a step in the right direction. So hopefully you felt that today. Religion that God our Father finds pure and faultless is this, is to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. James 1.27. And that's where we began about three weeks ago. Uh, as we've been uh, looking at this topic of God's heart for the vulnerable and the fatherless. So if you're joining us today for the first time, you're catching the fourth message in the end of this series. So good luck. Um, but you can always go back to our website and kind of catch up with us um, if you'd like. There'll be something for you today, though. But it's an issue that we've been talking about that's undoubtedly dear to the Father's heart. Because he went to great lengths to rescue each one of us, to provide us with an opportunity through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, for us to be adopted into his family as his children. We were all orphans. And throughout this conversation, we've tried to make it abundantly clear that caring for the fatherless and the vulnerable, or as we've defined it, those without an adult champion in their life, is not a calling for some Christians, it's not a, a calling for some Christians. It's a way of life for all Christians. It's what Christians do. It's who we are as his representatives in this world. There's no expression of Christianity that doesn't include orphan care and prevention as one of its central tenets. So now that I've cleared that up for you, there's this issue of perspective and last week, Stacy shared this powerful illustration of the river. If you were here and you remember that conversation, we talked about this river that's constantly flowing in this world. And it's a river of those in need, of those in poverty, uh, the orphaned and abandoned and the sick and the lonely. And it's continually moving throughout history. And it always has been and it always will be. And at the end of that river or, or down the line in those folks' life, you'll see this 
reality of when they're 18 of, of continued poverty. Maybe uh, a life of crime or imprisonment, continual struggles with abandonment and trust in certain parts of the world, potentially forced slavery or forced prostitution. You name it. And every day there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of children being swept up into this river, oftentimes completely out of their control, kind of victims of circumstances. And in the midst of this river that's always flowing is the church, us, the body of Christ. And often that church is a walled structure, carefully constructed uh, to kind of keep the incessant needs of the folks in the river at bay so that we don't get too overwhelmed by it all. And every once in a while, someone will venture outside the church walls to try to lend a hand, to serve, to love, to give to those in need. But after they're let outside the walls, we quickly pull the gates back up. Serving those in the river isn't for everyone, or so we convince ourselves. But last week, Stacy proposed a little bit different perspective, maybe, on, on how we see this, this issue And she began by showing a clip from the movie Castaway, and Tom Hanks' character is stranded on this island, and he's desperate to get off, and so he gets this raft, and he starts paddling out into the ocean, right? And he doesn't get more than a couple hundred yards out, and the waves start beating him, and he's just making no progress, working really hard, but getting nowhere, until finally a wave comes that's big enough that just capsizes him. And we talked about how life is like that a lot about how we feel like, man, we can be paddling, be trying to do the right things, but the waves of life just keep hitting us and pounding us. And we talked about how when we care for those in need, that it's most often like that. God isn't calling us to simply notice the river or to send a few missionaries out into the river or make a few planned and controlled attempts to care while keeping our life safe and uncontaminated by the mess of poverty. Stacy said last week that, that God is calling us to, to breach the walls, to open up and to let down and allow the river not to flow around us, but over us and through us, drowning us and overwhelming us. It's a call to die as we love in self-sacrificial ways. Now, last week we introduced you to a, a guy, and he's spoken here before. His name's Tate Williams. He works for a ministry called the Global Orphan Project. If you missed the first part of his video last week, let me just bring you up to speed. Tate and his wife have been married for five years, and they have four kids under the age of four. One is theirs, biologically, right? And then they had a, a daughter that they fostered for three years that they just got um, Uh, They just were able to adopt into their family. She had a a little brother who was being fostered by another family. They got him too, and now they're fostering a fourth child. So that's kind of the picture of his reality a little bit. And uh, we're going to watch just a smaller part of of the last part of his interview from last week. Um, That's about the fifth or sixth time I've watched that this past week. And um, I would encourage you this week to go back and watch it again and again because it's so rich in some of the things that he shared today. 
But I just want to ask you just briefly, what, what stood out to you? What spoke to you? What was challenging to you? What did you hear that made you think today? Yeah, Tony. Yeah, as we enter into the space, that God's going to do something in us, right, through it. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Nick? Somebody's talking about not having any control and, and uh, just being overwhelmed. And, uh, but that being where we see God the clearest, or where Jesus has the power and the ability mm. to, to, to take that control. Yeah, when we are the most weak, when we are the most vulnerable, when we are the most overwhelmed is when we most see Jesus. Because <laughs> it's not about us and our ability to handle it, manage it, whatever. Save it. Good. What else? Anything? Yeah, Rich. Yeah. Will I be okay if I enter into it and I don't really see any great results? We're a results-oriented culture, right? Those are good things, guys. I want to take a couple of minutes real quickly. I'm just going to throw some questions up on the screen. I want you to just ponder um, or at least write down that you can ponder later, okay? So I'm just going to read these for those that are going to be listening online so they'll know. How is God inviting me to respond? Will I be faithful? Be a faithful vehicle that God can work through. What does mission look like for me? Talked about in just every context of your life. What, what does mission look like? Will I obey by being weak, vulnerable, and overwhelmed so God can do his work through me? Will I allow myself to be changed by the least of these? Take a moment and at least maybe jot some of these down to reflect on this week. I'll give you a minute or two. Just keep those up there for a minute in case people want to keep writing. Guys, to be honest with you this morning, I I really hope that there is just a battle raging inside of you. Because if there is, it means that you're being attentive to the Holy Spirit and what he's trying to say to you. And I hope that you are beginning to understand that this discussion and how we respond to this, this topic is critical to our calling as Christ followers, whether we're 10 or 15 or we're sitting in the balcony or whether we're 60. God can get a hold of your heart at any point in your journey on this topic. Because you see, I think it's probably true that most of us really weren't sure what it was that we were signing up for when we gave our life to Jesus, right? I know I didn't. I was 16, I was at Young Life Camp, And I knew at that time that I was a sinner and that I needed a savior. That made sense to me. I knew that I wanted abundant life and I wanted eternal life and and all of those things. And I knew that, that being a Christian probably meant that I needed to go to church, that I should probably serve, that I should probably give financially, that I should be in community and maybe join a small group or that maybe I should do something for those in need at some level. But this whole idea of, 
of being weak and vulnerable and overwhelmed and drowning in the river of the poverty and the need and the fatherlessness in our world, like being a part of the expectation for me, I mean, I had no clue <laughs> that that would be expected. Recently, I was in um, Haiti uh, back in late January, early, early February, and I was in a car with a group of folks um, we had gone <clears throat> to see an orphanage about three hours away, and we were coming back the next day. And I was sitting next to one of the guys who is one of the presidents of Global Orphan Project. So he's kind of Tate's boss, who you just heard. And this guy has, uh, I've gotten to know him on the trip. He's got three daughters. <clears throat> I think their middle one um, they adopted from China. And he's on the phone with his wife. His wife calls. We're in Haiti, driving along. And I'm hearing this conversation that's going on there. So it's very interesting to me when he gets off the phone, I asked him, you know, to let me in a little bit on what, what the conversation was. And he has this Chinese girl that he adopted and they, in their neighborhood, there's several um, Chinese uh, nationals that have relocated to Kansas City area that he's gotten to know and that have been kind of a second family for his daughter. Well, another family in their neighborhood adopted uh, recently another girl from China, I think around 10 or 11 years old. And she had been at Trace's house and talking with his wife, and, and she, she keeps mentioning this best friend that she had. She's like, I just wish somebody would adopt my best friend who's still in the orphanage in China. And as she gets more out of this girl, the girl tells him, yeah, it's, it's a boy. He's about 12 or 13, I think, and he's blind. And she's like, I just know that nobody's going to adopt him. And this girl is just, you know, torn up. Like she's been taken and ripped from that situation and put here, and, and her friend is still there. And so Trace's wife is like, I think we're supposed to adopt him. And it was just interesting, the conversation, even just as I listened to it, and before I knew the details, the conversation on the phone between them wasn't, is this something that we should do? You see, that conversation had already been had. And decided a long time ago that when God presented them with a situation to care for the fatherless, that they were going to say yes. There was no discussion about money. There was no discussion about what is this going to mean for us to have a blind child possibly the rest of our life. It was just, how could we not say yes? It was a way of life for them. And you see, most of us spend a great deal of our time trying to establish, as he was talking about in the video, some sense of normalcy, some sense of peace, some sense of tranquility and stability. And then we try to fit our comfortable life into the gospel, conveniently ignoring the parts of Jesus' life and teachings that bring us the most discomfort. And some of us make some concessions or some steps in, in what we would call risky or scary directions by, by serving or giving or, or, or contributing to a cause from time to time. And, and while all of those things are nice and needed at some level, Jesus is inviting us to drown in caring for the fatherless and the vulnerable. And the truth is, is it's just, there's just not that many people that are willing to go there. But as Tate said in the video, it's where we will find most Jesus most clearly and most tangibly. So our goal at Wellspring 
is to try to obey, to try to follow Jesus and to drown if necessary, not to fix the people in our neighborhood, not to end poverty, not to try to be successful, certainly not to try to uh, trot statistics out to you of how many kids we're reaching, how many are showing up at our church, how many we've saved or baptized, or any of those metrics that church people like to use in order to feel good about themselves. Our desire is to be faithful, to love more deeply, more lavishly, to take steps to enter into the river in deeper and deeper ways, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And in case you haven't picked up on it yet, I'm kind of an intense person. And so I do want to, I was reminded of this, the Holy Spirit was convicting me as I was going through this this morning, is, guys, I want to encourage you. I don't want to encourage you because I feel like we are a community that is trying to move in that direction. And we've been around almost nine years now, and it's becoming an ever-increasing topic of discussion in, in our Sundays and in our, our board meetings and, and all of that, and we're moving in those directions, so I'm encouraged by that. But I also know, because it's just kind of how I operate with kind of a critical eye, that there's still just so much more that we can do. I know that there are so many of us, including myself, that still ultimately long for life to be comfortable, that we are striving to organize our life in a way that feels good for us. And the fallacy is that what Satan wants us to believe is that moving in a, in a direction of drowning, that that is not going to be fun. Anytime that we are moving in a direction where Jesus is, and that he is the author of life, I would think that that would be a fun place to be. That's where life is going to be. What we're settling over here, over here for, what I often settle for, is a counterfeit life. It has its thrills now, possibly, but it's not very eternal. I want you to open your Bibles to James chapter 2. It's page 848. James chapter 2. Page 848, starting in verse 14. James is is Jesus' brother. And he's writing to the early church and he says this. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So in light of God's clear and consistent call to us to enter into the life of the vulnerable, the fatherless in this world... The question before us today is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do as a church, as individuals? And so what we've tried to make it a little bit easy for you, 
by giving you some information. So Justin, come up. Uh, you should have gotten this as you walked in today. Justin's going to tell you a little bit more about that. Um, if you guys didn't get one of those blue handouts, there should be like 100 left over. So feel free to take one or give it to your friends. We're just going to walk through a few of these. This handout was created this morning to give you guys just some specific and practical ways that you can help engage, serve, and give to just some of the ministries that we've been highlighting and kind of just through this orphan engagement series. Uh, the first ministry highlighted there, if you look at that, is uh, Food for Kids. And we've listed just several needs that they have, such as um, fresh fruit, juice boxes, and financial donations. Um, the next ministry is the Guest House, just right up the street from here. You can always uh, financially contribute to help with utilities and maintenance. There's also just very specific grocery food and cleaning supplies listed, along with needing um, occasional help with uh, transportation and even mowing the lawn. Um, if you flip it over, we've highlighted um, the Go Exchange, and the Go X is a ministry that sells uh, fashionable clothing and accessories um, that are made um, primarily by single mothers, and literally your purchases help families stay together so that these mothers don't have to give their children up uh, for adoption because of um, homelessness or um, being without work. You can have your t-shirts made through them. If you have a sports team or business or organization, you can host a trunk show um, in your home where you invite one of our GoX ambassadors into your home to invite your family and friends, and they can display the products. Very, very laid back and fun. Um, you can also join the giver circle, which... Um, you give just a small amount once a month, and you get products in return. And we actually have, I think there's only like 25 GoX ambassadors in this whole region, and we have like three just in our church. I've heard there's only like 20 in KC, and we have three right here in Wellspring, so that's pretty amazing. Their numbers are on there if you want to contact them. And also, um, we're excited to announce that we're going to be taking a trip to Haiti this September September 24th uh, through the 28th with the Global Orphan Project, and that's going to be open to anyone here at Wellspring. It's going to be a chance to see just how God is moving um, in Haiti, uh, not only through the church, but through many of the partnership and just orphanages they have going on. You have the opportunity to play with lots of kids, worship with the Haitian church, which is an experience many of you would absolutely love. It's pretty life-changing. And so I'm going to be leading that trip. If you want more info on that, we're having an informational meeting on Sunday, June 7th, just for like 20 minutes right after church in the community room, and I'll be able to answer any questions you might have about that. And then finally, we've placed a calendar at the very bottom of that, which um, it's kind of just lists just all kinds of times where you're um, welcome to come and just hang out with a bunch of these ministries, Food for Kids, the Guest House, and other gatherings. These aren't the only times that things are going on at the Guest House and whatnot, but it's a time, just a set time each week where you can come and serve. So I just challenge you guys to take this home and pray about it and just see how God might be asking you to get involved with these ministries here locally and beyond. Thank you. Several years ago, I read a book and gave a sermon, actually, uh, off that, uh, what I'd read, uh, called Holy Discontent. And in the book, the author um, basically talked about that there are some things that, um, he used a, a phrase from the Popeye cartoon, those of you that are old enough to know what that is, um, where Popeye would say, that's all I can stand and I can't stands no more, Right? And he said that we have these Popeye moments in life sometimes where God puts something on our hearts that becomes such a a place of discontent for us. And we just say, you know what, that's all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. 
And for me, like a lot of you, um, you know, fatherless kids is one of those places for me that's just I'm passionate about. And one of the advice uh, that he gave in that book was that when God starts stirring in your heart this discontent, he said, put yourself in front of it again and again and again. And so I did. I started just committing myself to anything that I would read or come across about adoption that I would read it. If I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip or to go somewhere where I would be surrounded by that reality, that I would do it. And, and God would just cement in me and cement in me and, and through that give me the courage to move and to act and to do something with this short life that I have here on this earth. And so many of you guys have done that. G.K. Chesterton a uh, famous uh, theologian, he said this. He said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. If you want to find Jesus, if you want to feel near to him, then you can probably find him where you least want to go where the pain and the hurt is ever-present, where the earthly answers are few and far between. He's there. And he's calling to his walled-up church to come and dive into the river with him. So will you come? Or maybe I can ask a little bit different question. What would you be hoping that the church would do if you were the one in the river? What would you be hoping that the church would do if you were the one in the river? Let's pray.